actually recording the cold pizza party podcast <laughs> hello this is the intro to our podcast this is the cold pizza party podcast i'm adam <laughs> and i'm Lubitsa. and uh today we're going to be talking about the types of topics that we like to talk about <laughs> um mainly television politics and uh in I, this case religion yeah today we're going to be talking about religion because we want to talk about hand of god tv show it was an amazon tv show right yeah one of the new amazon offerings with uh what's the guy's name hellboy yeah what is his ron perlman ron perlman starring ron perlman um yeah so we're going to be talking about atheism too uh and why being an atheist gives us a better perspective on religion and tv than other people um the short answer is because we think about religion actually um think about it much more critically certainly and think about like its effects on society and lives and yeah. our lives and people's lives yeah we were listening to a great tv podcast called the vulture po- vulture tv podcast is yeah, that the full so. title it's the vulture podcast on tv in any case uh, it's probably i think it's the best tv podcast we've found so far yeah um and they were talking about leftovers the tv show the leftovers mm-hmm. and uh and just Jane the Virgin and how religion is depicted on TV in general. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to talk about that too. Um, they had some interesting things to say. And uh, I think we being atheists have a different uh, a perspective on it. They were wondering like why religion doesn't come up more in TV shows. But I just, I don't think people are interested actually is the answer. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, we thought they had an interesting discussion, but we were also having a discussion while they they while we were listening, um, and we really felt like they lacked um, some perspective that we had, and so we wanted to have our own discussion about it. Um, and so, um, the you know, like Adam said, they they were wondering, well, why uh, they they started out by talking about like how for a while there was. Um, Joan of Ar- uh, Arcadia. Arcadia and there was Touched by an Angel and I think did they say something called like Highway to Heaven yeah, or Highway to God I don't know I don't know what that one is but um, Jesus. <laughs> but they were wondering like what happened why aren't there more religious shows on television today and you know the first thing that I would say is that like all TV shows that are on TV today tend to actually be religious Um, and not just in the sense that like predominantly and presumably the characters tend to be like middle-class white Christian people, right? Like, um, but also uh, in the sense that all the TV shows that we watch, whether it's like Mad Men or Breaking Bad or Gilmore Girls or um, I mean, even like a show like vampire diaries where there's like supernatural monsters and and things like that. Um, all of these shows, uh, they, they, you know, create different worlds for their TV shows. And in all of them, um, there's like a clear linear storytelling narrative where cause and effect are identifiable and, um, completely tied to each other. And where, in effect, it's an ordered world that could only exist in a great central design planned by some 
deity or greater intelligence or whatever. Um, because like, uh, if we just had a, a TV show that was an atheist TV show, things would happen really randomly. And you would have an instance where, uh, you know, like, let's say you have a TV show that's about a high school, you know, w one day a teacher might just not wake up because I don't know, he was old and that was the day he died and there would be no meaning and there would be no buildup and there'd be no cause or effect. It would just happen because that's what happens in real life. Or you might have, um, you know, a TV show about... Well, if it were about a school, you might have a school shooting where yes. you don't even know who the characters were. Yeah. And people die for no reason. Yeah. You saw the movie Elephant, right? Mm -hmm. Elephant, Gus Van Sant movie uh, made uh, in the wake of Columbine. Yeah, great movie. Yeah, excellent movie. Uh, really innovative use of film um, cinematography. Storylines. And, and story, yeah, storytelling. It basically just follows kids, literally follows them walking yeah. around school. It's like long tracking shots of just them living a normal day. And you get to know the kids um, without really knowing storylines, just experientially going mm -hmm. through the day with them. And then yeah. that gets punctuated with this pointless violence, you know. That would, yeah, that would be like a great example of something that I would see as much more like of an atheist storytelling yeah. You mentioned we talked we talked how No Country for Old Men is also an atheist story where so. yeah um the main character well for a while he's the main character Llewellyn uh this is this is what I was the thinking of the, well no Llewellyn was the guy with the uh cowboy hat that oh, like really? got in over his head oh, no oh okay I, you remember this movie better than I do clearly but um you were when you're talking about as what an atheist storyline would look like and why you're saying like all shows have a, a religious point of view because like bad deeds get punished yes. things happen for a reason uh good characters are rewarded yeah yeah and that's you know no country for old men that's not what happens and you used the example of like a character just getting hit by a car randomly because yeah. that's what happens in real life yeah. and that's like what happens at the end of no country for old men he just gets in a random car accident and but actually he happens to be okay you know it's not like the fates punishing him and you uh rejoicing in the serial killer's death it's just he get, randomly gets hit by a car and that's how <laughs> that's how the movie ends but he's fine yeah 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 i mean yeah i think i was saying to you it would be great if there was like a tv show where there you know it's a law practice or whatever and then one day you know a lawyer goes out to grab lunch or whatever gets hit by a truck and dies and that's just that's it you know yeah. like that do you remember you had you mentioned some tv show that you felt had an atheist perspective in that way where things don't maybe we'll think of it later hmm. yeah it's hard because i to... uh, uh, tv shows are worse than movies tv shows always and this is kind of the story architecture that we're stuck with that all storytelling uh yeah. goes through is this you know on a TV show, you have such a natural incentive to keep building on what's already happened and keep building things up to a higher and higher crescendo, right? Like, um, especially f towards a season finale. So uh, if for some reason a character does something bad, like I'm thinking maybe like a Pretty Little Liars, right? 
if like there's that's a tv show where characters do bad things and sometimes they get away with it but it's always for a while in service of that character doing something even worse or getting a more dramatic comeuppance later (laughs) but um but there's there's never a point at which we're not sure whether someone who is actually bad or evil uh, first of all evil exists right in these worlds so we can objectively say someone is good or bad like especially in those wb shows yeah like some characters are just evil yeah um and but 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 also um we know that 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 the bad characters the evil characters are definitely going to get um that we're going to see justice being served either cosmic karmic higher power delivered justice or the justice system in the show gets it right and puts the right person in in prison or you know whatever the the he gets shot in self-defense by the good character or whatever it is so um but the other thing that uh, they were talking about on the Vulture podcast that I think we were also interested in discussing um, because we had a really different point of view from them. Um, one of the um, folks on there was saying, oh, well, uh, people who are religious, they're just used to um, consuming media that uh, isn't religious and that they just sort of accept it. And on the other hand, people who are atheist or agnostic, they're not willing to watch TV that's religious. And therefore, that's the way it is. But we didn't really feel like that addressed. No, that that reminds me of this argument that like girls will watch storylines about boys Mm -hmm. like Harry Potter, but boys wouldn't watch one about girls, which isn't true either. Like I Zombie, we we just started watching I Zombie. Yeah. The central character is a girl. I think that there, are, if I don't know if guys even, would be willing to even, even going back, there's Encyclopedia Brown, and I I was thinking back about that recently because um, I would watch the same shows as my sister and yeah. en- enjoy them. Um, well, Encyclopedia Brown is a boy though. Oh, I'm thinking of Punky Brewster. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but my point is just it's just something that sounds true. But yeah. th- uh, somebody else on the podcast, the Vulture podcast, pointed out, well, there aren't that many atheists. It's not like the networks are like, oh, how do we court this atheist demographic? Yeah. And I was saying to Adam, also, atheists aren't better consumers uh, than religious people. They're, we're not more likely to go out and buy a product or something. And so therefore, there's some other kind of incentive uh, besides just, you know, power and numbers that would cause um tv uh producers and 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 channels to want more atheist um tv shows and what i always say to adam um (laughs) when we're listening especially to the religious station in town is that we're all atheists actually (laughs) um even the religious people on the station i think are actually deep down atheist which I know sounds crazy or maybe sounds like I'm dreaming but um, the reason I think that is because they are constantly looking for real world proof or evidence that uh, the things they believe are actually physically true Um, and so we were like listening to something recently where the guy was talking analyzing the bible like it's a you know, text with like a one-to-one real world correspondence, you know? He was talking about numbers and he was like, 
in this passage, there are 11 goats. And in this other passage, there's 11 something else. Therefore, there's a connection here. And, you know, stuff like where you count the numbers of like you count. People think there's a Bible code and you can just count how many words are in a passage and divide it by some other number of words in a different passage and unlock the secrets of the Bible. So they're doing some kind of pseudo math there, some kind of pseudo analysis. But the point is that they're trying to bring the rigor of science to the Bible, right? Like we know. Failing, but trying. Yeah, yeah. We know uh, that we know things from science because there is evidence right and because they can be proven over and over you can replicate experiments and get the same results and that's how we determine that something is true with science Um, but we can't do that with the bible you can't like i don't know try to walk on water i don't know i don't even know where you would begin if you feel a lump on your body you can go to the doctor and the doctor's like well we know that's cancer (laughs) You can't go to your priest and have your priest cure it. And people know this. Everybody knows this and lives in this world where that's the way things work. Yeah. And even, I mean, uh, barring like the crazy Christian scientists, people who like won't get medicine for their children. Most people, even if they are very religious, evangelical, you know, believing Christians, like they are like deeply fundamentalist. They're still, if they find the lump on their body, going to the doctor and not just expecting. And they may also ask for their church to pray for them, but they're not. Ex- that's not their number one source of treatment for for the lump, right? Um, so and they don't just give up because God has a plan. Exactly. God wanted me to get cancer. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that um, the the reality is that. We are actually all atheists in this country because we have too much access to information and science education to not be. And therefore, when it comes to watching a religious TV show, I think people actually just aren't interested in those storylines. For one thing, it's boring to, to have everything just be because God said so. Like, what kind of story is that? I don't it's not interesting. But also, I think that um, it falls. Sh- it just if the narrative is always going to fall short from reality, it's always going to be less complex and interesting than the real world we live in. And I don't know. I just can't imagine where you go with that religious narrative. And so that's why I think there's actually um, many, many more. Uh, non-religious shows not that they're you know atheists because like i like we talked about that's not the case but they're not addressing religion in an overt way because people aren't that interested in it yeah. they don't actually believe it and they don't want to be bothered with it and where there is magic in a tv show they want it to be proved yes that's why there's so many supernatural detective shows too yes. uh like once upon a time where she's a bail bonds woman is that right who ends up unwittingly in a town that um the evil witch who runs it um they lived in a storybook right yes and and then the evil witch got them out of the storybook into the real world yeah yeah and kidnapped this bail bonds woman's child that she doesn't know she has well she gave him up for adoption she gave him up for adoption and she adopted and the evil woman from the storybook who lives in the real world adopted him and the 
she's the mayor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So like the magic is firmly in the real world and the bail bonds woman is in that world, sorting out all following its clues, sorting out its secrets that are staring her in the face, telling her, wake up middle-aged woman magic exists and you have a child and uh she refuses to believe that magic exists and the whole point of the storyline is to find the clues the facts that prove magic exists the evidence evidence. and um uh, it reminds me of something i saw on n plus one a while back um it's an article called adventures of a man of science i think this article has two titles there's a different title somewhere but um it's about a a literary uh analyst called franco moretti and uh it's basically a critique of his methods that i I won't get into but he he's like one of these digital humanities guys who studies um texts not by reading them closely but by analyzing them like their science so he uh and some graduate students looked at detective novels around the turn of the victorian age Mm -hmm. and tried to figure out like why is sherlock holmes so successful you know, people were coming with all sorts of detectives back then. Right, right. So wh- what made Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes successful? So they just poured through reading all these old books and they found that the way clues operate are totally different. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, let me find a passage here real quick. Okay. Well, while you're doing that, actually, we um, watched a British TV show a while back um, with this woman who talked about the development of the murder mystery um both by looking at the development of historical murder mysteries that actually occurred and also um literature and she talks about um sherlock holmes obviously and one of the things that she really identified about um why it was so popular was that before sherlock holmes um we didn't really have a super codified idea of how to go about solving a murder um, uh, beyond like if someone saw it happen or if there's just really obvious um, like motive for why someone might have died. But if when it was like a random axe murder that just like walked into a house and killed people for no reason, there was no idea how to even begin to solve that. And so um sherlock holmes was they actually like learned techniques from reading sherlock holmes because one of the basic things was like being systematic in the analysis and like looking through every piece of evidence and cataloging every piece of evidence so that it could be looked at again objectively later as opposed to allowing people to traipse through the crime scene and take souvenirs and you know um not uh, writing down what they found at at the crime scene, so they couldn't look back on it later. You know, they didn't have photography yet, but um, f- figuring out like these kind of basic principles of crime solving. And Sherlock Holmes was, was one of the first characters to ever do it, and so that was really actually exciting because it was a real world development happening inside of a novel. That's funny. Uh, what were you saying about how? just a random person walks into the room and kills somebody? Well, they had um, around the same time, like for kind of the first time, uh, like a guy walks into a family's house and murders everyone with an ax. And they had no clue how to even begin to solve that or really had a hard time even understanding how that, how that would happen, that 
someone who doesn't know the family would yeah. attack them. Well, apparently a lot of the authors writing these crime novels, yeah, they didn't know how to solve those either. So they wrote things like the secret being revealed in dreams. Oh, um, murderers confessing when they weren't even asked or interrogated. <laughs> Um, yeah, because they probably assumed that you would be overwhelmed with guilt. They couldn't yeah. believe, probably partly because of their religiosity, by the way, that there could be random catastrophic events happening without cause or, yeah. you know, linear effects. So they had all these novels without any clues. Apparently one time there was by <laughs> chance an autopsy of a shark and the shark had swallowed a message in a bottle that mentioned the oh identity of the true killers. <laughs> so that's how, like, in the Victorian age, they were solving crimes in fiction until Conan Doyle came around and wrote Sherlock Holmes. Um, they mentioned in the article, even other writers who did include clues in their novels didn't understand how to do it. So, like, one detective, having deduced that the drug is in the third cup of coffee, drinks the coffee. Oh, no. <laughs> Does he I, die? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it works out for him. <laughs> but the point of Franco Moretti's discovery, according to this N plus one article, is that um, so like uh, there are clues in Sherlock Holmes, but you can't actually tell the truth. You can't figure out the truth for yourself. Right. It's There's not enough clues for you to find out the truth. Sherlock Holmes is always solving it, and there's no way without him telling you you know, what he deduced. You can't deduce it yourself. There's just not enough clues to put it together. Um, and he argues that's because people still wanted a bit of magic. Mm -hmm. So they wanted their magic from science. Yeah. So they believed in science or were just starting to, but they liked this idea of it like swooping in and saving the day in the form of Sherlock Holmes. Because Dr. Watson is a scientist too, right? Yeah. But he never puts it together. Yeah. It takes this weird magical genius of Sherlock Holmes to put it together. Right. Unlike Agatha Christie novels, which would come around 50 years later, yeah. you can solve it yourself. You yeah. don't need to be the detective. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, people are more comfortable with science. Although, so now we've like gone full circle. Yeah. Now people want a supernatural detective who proves that magic exists through clues that you could piece together. Although the way to solve, I mean, I love Agatha Christie novels, especially yeah. when I was a kid. And the way to solve an Agatha Christie novel, interestingly enough, is through deductive reasoning, right? Like you, you start to, not only through deductive reasoning of the clues that are there, but also you start to learn the format of the novels and you start to realize, oh, there tends to be a red herring. Oh, the person who wasn't there in the beginning might be, you know, involved, right? And so... Um, again, I think part of the reason, too, that Sherlock Holmes was so uh, fascinating to people was that it was basically teaching them a skill to um, make sense out of chaos, actually, right? Um, but uh, you mentioned the supernatural detective, and I think that we actually recorded a podcast about supernatural detectives but never put it out. So maybe we should quickly go over our idea about the supernatural detective and what that means and why it's so interesting to us. Um, so you mentioned, obviously, uh, what's it called? Once Upon a Time yeah. uh, as an example of a su supernatural detective. Uh, do you want to, like, kind of explain what you meant by that? or? No, I think we covered it, right? Like, she wants to... She, the, po the whole point is to prove the magic that we as the viewers know is staring her in the face, but... 
you know, she's our surrogate in this world. So of course she can't believe in magic. We don't believe in magic. And the whole point of the story is to convince you to believe in magic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Through clues. Yeah. Through uncovering evidence. the facts that through evidence. Yeah. yeah. The evidence should prove that magic exists. That's apparently what viewers want to see. Very successful show. It's going on. It's like 20th oh, yeah. season. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay, cool, yeah. Uh, and there's a huge preponderance of supernatural detective shows exactly. in the past, like, five years. Hand of God, we'll get to. Um, that's a really interesting one. It does it different than most of the others, too. And the worldview, it depicts, like, if God is real, what is he like? It's just bizarre. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway. But, yeah, I mean, like, based, almost every TV show lately that comes out is, you know, we, um, right around the same time as Once Upon a Time came out, we also tried watching Grimm. Uh, and that's another one of those where uh, he is a police officer, but also finds all this evidence that like storybook uh, characters are real. Well, the Grimm brothers weren't, they weren't fictional authors. No, th that was all real. That was secretly um, a monster hunting guide. Yes. And they passed down that knowledge through their family, and he's a descendant of them. Yes. So even these fairy tales have to be literalized in a way that proves magic exists in the grim world. And you can also see the parallel here to what we were talking about with the Bible, obviously, because, um, you know, you're trying to make sense, like, like, out of text that is stories that maybe are supposed to convey some kind of emotional truth or whatever religious truth if you believe in the bible oh you're saying that's the parallel with the bible yeah but like like the the grim fairy tales are supposed to be clues like you said like a monster hunting guide to all these different they're like the little red riding hood's wolf is actually a real type of monster that exists in the world and so is whatever else i, I don't know i think goldilocks was another story they did so I don't know. I think maybe there were like bears, humans that turned into bears. I don't know. The point is we gave up on this show way faster than uh, I gave up on Once Upon a Time. So we know way less information about it. But um, my point is that they're replaying this idea, right, with the supernatural detective that leads me to believe that we're all atheists because they're doing the same thing. Like they, you find a magical text or um, you, uh, the, I mean, even in, what is this, story time, um, I always want to call it storybook, but it's called Once Upon a Time. Uh, a yeah, I think that's why I get, uh, just want to call it storybook. Um, but they, there is a book that the little boy has that shows all of them as, like all of the townspeople as fairy tale characters, uh, who they were at one point, and and then they have to like find evidence for the supernatural detective who's you know to to finally the atheist basically right to finally believe in magic to finally or or believe in this ordered world where there is a higher power or a supernatural power and then um the the whole point is that oh once you believe that's when you really get to experience the world and and see the beauty of the world and magic around you right and it's like well, hard not to feel like that's just a lot of religious propaganda sometimes yeah because instead of seeing the actual world you see this secret that yes. was in the world yeah. but you have to be proven it it's not yeah. It's not just apparent. You can't just appreciate the world as it is. There has to be something more that you're missing 
And that's what makes you appreciate the world. Yeah, which is such a weird viewpoint for religious people to come at the world with. But, I mean, we see it all the time. And so with the supernatural detective, I mean, you see that in, like, the Vampire Diaries, any any TV show where someone starts out and they just think they're living their life, but probably the pilot is the day everything <laughs> changed, as they said on uh, the Vulture podcast, which I thought was a great point about pilots, because um, that's always what it is, right? It's the day everything changed. And um, they... But but with the supernatural detective, they can't accept that that's the day everything changed. Like she, like in Vampire Diaries, she meets like a vampire and there's evidence that her friend is like a magical witch person. But she's like oblivious to it until it's like blatantly proven to, to her, like completely demonstrated to her that uh, her friend can magically like move feathers around the room and that her boyfriend has fangs or whatever, you know. Um, and so uh, I think that that's that's the that those are actually the religious shows. And like when Vulture says there aren't a lot of religious TV shows and they're really surprised by that, considering how many people identify as religious in the United States, that they're actually missing that there are. That's why we have the Vampire Diaries and Once Upon a Time and Grimm and uh, uh, the Headless Horseman. What's that one called? Sleepy Hollow. Yes. Yes. Sleepy Hollow. Another one where <clears throat> it's the same idea. Um, I mean, there's probably more. Honestly, I get really turned off by these TV shows, so I tend to like totally peace out on them. But um, but there are definitely religious TV shows. They're just not explicitly like there is a God and Jesus is on the cross hanging in the background. Yeah. Uh, even True Blood is kind of like that, oh, yeah, definitely. you know. At least in the beginning, before everybody turns out to be a magical creature. Although that plays into our argument when it turns out everybody has magic. Yes, including the main character who's always been able to read people's minds, yet doesn't believe in magic and didn't <laughs> think that was a weird trait about herself. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, but anyway, you mentioned Hand of God, and I think that that's a really interesting one that maybe well, we Well, before into. we get to that... Oh. There's uh, other stuff I was thinking. Like, I want to context. I feel like it helps if we contextualize this with what might seem like a digression. We were watching the most recent 48 hours earlier today. (laughs) And uh, it's, well, it's, it's, if you've seen The Staircase, it's a lot like The Staircase. This woman um, died in the shower. Like, well, okay, probably what happened, what we think happened is this woman slipped in the shower, hit her head, and bled out. And she was 60 something and she had vertigo. So, and her shower, it's one of these like, um, post, not, it's like post, postmodern shower. It's like, uh, brick, like granite, very rough looking. And, you know, they had a really nice house and it has this stone bench in the shower. And she has like a a wound. Very sharp. Very, yeah, really sharp edge. And she has a wound on her head that is straight. It just goes straight, you know, like a, bench like a stone bench would do and at first the medical examiner said oh yeah she slipped in the shower this was an accident but when the prosecutor got his hands on it he convinced himself that the husband did it um because oh there's just so much blood and uh you know it's always the husband right yes both of those things by the way are exactly what happens in the staircase as well except in that story the the woman slips and falls down the stairs presumably um so so they bring in 
like a blood splatter expert. Um, and if you follow serial and you like stuff like that, you know, forensics is not science. You know, science is about proving things through falsif- uh, falsifiability, you know. Um, you can't look at blood splatter, as this woman did, and then she made a model of their bedroom and put a mannequin in the bed and put blood on its head and hit it until she got, you know, a similar blood pattern. Yeah. And there's, therefore, she's like, so here you go. Yeah, she, That's not science. She's like, they, they were like, she even put a wig on the mannequin. It's like, that doesn't make it more rigorous. And one thing I also noticed, which maybe this is getting into too much detail, but she was like, yeah, I got, I made a room like with the dimensions of their bedroom and I got a bed that was approximately the same height. It's like, well, already that's not very rigorous. Like yeah. you need to do it exactly the same. If like, you can't like test a vaccine for like the measles and be like, yeah. oh, we did approximately the same. But if you really wanted to do science, you would have to disprove his account of events, the yeah. husband. You would have to disprove that it could yes. have happened the way he said it. Yeah. Because that's how science works. It works by having a hypothesis and testing it. And only when you get it wrong have you learned anything. Yeah. You know? So anyway, um, they use that to just cast doubt in the mind of the jury and his daughter was there and called 911 and um she you know this man's whole family is standing with him saying we don't think he killed our mom Including our sister the wife's family by the way yeah the sister and brother of the mom all of the children yeah. normally like in the staircase they can find somebody to peel off to yeah, you know like a sibling of the dead person for example yeah to not just support the husband but in this case everybody in his family was standing behind him um anyway they convict him <laughs> uh, and the daughter was there and she did made a phone call and the process and uh she had to put the phone down for a few seconds and pick it up on a different line and that's like when she went to the bathroom and saw what it what, what had happened to her mom and she picks up the line it's been 15 seconds and she's like she's not, hurry she's not breathing there's so much blood the prosecutor says, why did she say there's so much blood? Shouldn't she have said, my mother is bleeding so much? That yeah. means that she, such and such. And it, it only took her 15 seconds. The prosecutor's like, I went there and I tried it myself. And it took me 45 seconds to go from one phone to the next. It's like, dude, you are, he's like 70 years old. Yeah. This this is like a 23-year-old girl full of adrenaline who yeah. wants to save her mother's life. Yeah, and, who knows exactly where everything's located in her house and how to get yeah. to play. Like, and she only had to go down the hallway. She yeah. crossed like two rooms. Yeah, she could have done that, that in 15 seconds. 45 seconds. I was confused by that. But yeah. again, the, though, this is the pseudoscience, right? Like yeah. instead of getting a 23-year-old girl and like pumping her full of coffee or something to, you know, to stimulate this circumstances and then seeing can she make it in 15 seconds or or anything like that right like trying to actually replicate the circumstances the old ass prosecutor walked around the house and he didn't make it in four until i don't know 45 seconds passed and so therefore he's proven something no you haven't but okay no but he found enough evidence to prove what he wanted to believe in the first place And what he wanted to believe is not that random things happen and people die for no good reason. He wanted to believe there's evil in the world and people kill and I'm going to get justice for that woman. And I'm the guy. Yeah, I'm the guy who who 
takes down bad people yeah. in this world. But all he did is put on this poor girl who's watched her mother die yeah. and grill her on the stand, accusing her of lying for her dad yeah. and then sent her dad away to jail. Yeah. But in his mind, he got justice. Only, no, I don't think an atheist who really thinks about what that means for your worldview and for your ethics could do that because he achieved nothing. Yeah. He, the only way you could think that you achieved something by doing that is thinking that there's some ideal of justice out there in the world that is perfect form of justice. Yeah. Like a platonic form yeah. of justice that is independent of any relation that it would have with any other object yeah. in the world because the, the victims, the victim, the woman is dead. Yeah. All that's left is her family. They don't want to see their husband go to jail. Everybody in that family doesn't want to see him go to jail. Yeah. Um, they all believe he's innocent. And the prosecutor said, uh, well, I, it was a real risk to put his daughter on the stand because she obviously really loves her father and obviously really believes he's innocent. And, you know, he's really unlikely to reoffend. Yeah. So uh, it was a real risk because they might actually just vote to let him go. And it's like, yeah, because that would be the right thing to do. Who benefits by putting this man in jail? You don't think it's not like he thinks, oh, well, he's protecting society from a potential, you know, guy who's going to go on a murder spree if he gets away with it. No. So just out of this prosecutor's faith in his conception of justice, which is just ridiculous and his faith in himself, he caused suffering for this already traumatized family. And even if he were guilty, he still would have achieved nothing because this man's not going to kill again. The family still believes he's innocent, so yeah. it didn't help. And yeah. and he managed to re-traumatize the daughter by yeah. putting her on the stand yeah. and grilling her. So even if he believed this man was guilty, if he just had a conception of justice that was empathic and cared about other people in the world and didn't just see it as some ideal, like, he's going to go up there and God's going to give him the right answer. Yeah. Or only if you God is going to be like judging him at the pearly gates and saying, good job, you got that one right, that guy did did murder someone and that's the only objective important truth in this whole scenario not like how his family you know lost their mother and then two years later their father was also taken away from them for no reason and that these people feel no justice was served and maybe lost their faith in the justice system as a result of this none of that is important all that's important is that you did what you believed was right I, I mean, and and if he did kill her, that you you put away a man who killed somebody. But yeah. everything else is lost. And he had to manufacture some flimsy evidence so that he could yeah. believe that, no, the world is not a chaotic place. Including changing the timeline for no reason. Like, they're like, oh, yeah. she probably died at like 7 a.m. or whatever it was. And he was like... That doesn't really fit with my theory. <laughs> she probably died at 4. There was like literally yeah. no... But beyond his theory that um, I guess the the blood spatter got to other places and and uh, the the father didn't the husband didn't clean it up because he couldn't see because it was in the pre dawn hours and you know we don't live with electricity or anything he couldn't possibly have turned on a light to see where the blood spatter was um, so beyond like why they thought that's the only reason he had for thinking it was pre dawn yeah, uh, the murder it's it terrible make sense like and and. Any, anyway. But my point is, this is the yeah. religious mindset ideology yes. contorting to preserve itself. Yes. And it's the same when we hear the conservatives on American Family Radio tell you why, oh, 
okay, evolution, maybe it happens on a micro scale, but no, one species can't evolve into a different species. We have no evidence of that. Yeah, well, they're the same thing. Yeah. Species are arbitrary categories. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. created them. But also, like, we have evidence. I mean, we can, like, look back to Evidence is not record. needed, though. If you think that, if you see that the flu virus changes from one year to the next, you uh, believe yeah. in evolution. Yeah, yeah. But they come up with, they'll latch onto any tiny fact to justify their worldview. What they will not do is, um, is, is believe in God regardless. They need some yeah. evidence to prove it. Yeah. Something to hold on to. Yeah, but the most important re reason they're doing this contortion is because it's incredibly painful and scary to imagine that we live in a very chaotic world where there is no order, there is no higher power, and we're just like hurtling through space on a rock yeah. without any protection or, you know, anything to make sense of our lives. That's very scary and painful. And so they will contort themselves. They will twist up into pretzels and put potentially an innocent man in jail rather than accept that you can live a perfectly lovely, healthy, wonderful, meaningful life. And one day you get up to take a shower and you slip in your fancy shower and you hit your head and you fucking die. Yeah. And it, there's no reason and it sucks and it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why we're all atheists now, but people are struggling to, to accept yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, because even the religious people need this scientific proof to hold on to that comforting notion yes. to protect themselves from the void, the yes. chaos. Yeah. And that's, why, that's where the religious TV shows are, is these supernatural detective shows finding the evidence for magic. Yeah, yeah because the supernatural detective starts out in a world that is that is atheist in the sense that uh, it's a world where no one believes in magic or religion or whatever it is. And then slowly through evidence, they come to be religious basically, right? They come to accept magic or supernatural life or whatever it is. And it's crazy because if you look at the old fairy tales, like the Grimm's fairy tales that Grimm perverts or the <laughs> old Testament that religious people pervert, they believed in magic but they believed in an arbitrary God, an arbitrary universe that yeah. did things that don't make sense. Yeah. That, And that's how they explained the chaos of the world is that things are just out of our control. And that's what religion and magic meant to them so often. Yeah. But we, because we live in the scientific worldview are unwilling to accept that. Yeah. So even the religious people need their religion to conform to that scientific point of view. That's why their favorite thing to say is God has a plan, mm -hmm. you know? somebody you know died that's okay that's what god wanted and he is just a rash he's just super rational it's not that he's yeah. arbitrary or does things yeah. that don't make sense we just he just does things that we don't understand because we are lesser than god yeah. and he just is smarter than us yeah, yeah. he's sherlock holmes <laughs> yeah yeah totally totally um so yeah oh oh so i think that sums up yeah, our thesis and yeah, argument no, I yeah think that was so hand of god though are you ready to go on to hand of god uh, well let's take a quick break so uh we can take care of things we need to take care of and we'll be back in a minute to okay. talk about hand of god and i zombie briefly okay okay <laughs> okay we're back with the cold pizza party podcast i'm adam and i'm libizza yeah and we're gonna talk about hand of god now um just to summarize it briefly in case you missed it um ron perlman plays um, a judge 
what's his name? Parnell Harris. I'm not good with names. Um, he plays a judge whose son is in a coma, basically. And uh, in his grief, he has this like religious experience because he meets up with this shysty, um priest who used to be a soap opera actor. <laughs> and, uh, Which is a nice detail. Yeah, nice detail. He's basically, the priest is basically like Pentecostal, I think. they. Um, it's like one of those really, they speak in tongues and uh, yeah. Um, so he has this religious experience and in his grief, um, or maybe for real starts hearing his son in a coma, talk to him. And he thinks it's God speaking through his son to him, um, telling him to seek vengeance for, um, well, it's a bit complicated. It's not the people who put his son in the coma because the son, um, it was a suicide attempt, but he committed suicide in part because his wife to be had been raped and uh that's partly why he came in front of him and that's why he tried to commit suicide so um parnell thinks god wants him to seek vengeance on those those people and that's the premise of the show but we don't have to recap everything about it just yeah yeah basically the the point is that parnell is looking for the uh people who uh broke in and raped uh, his son's wife. Well, it's kind of the same setup as we've been talking about. It's the the kind of chaos of the world that he's having trouble dealing with, and he yeah. needs to make meaning out of it. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's not even vengeance for the the for his son being in a coma. He did that to himself. Um, it's just Par- Parnell having trouble dealing with the randomness and the grief that is in the just exists in the real world as a fact of life. And looking for some kind of platonic ideal justice to be served right like because whoever that was why for whatever reason they they uh broke in and raped uh his wife and and made this uh son jp i think his name was watch um that that's gone that happened and that really like doesn't matter that much to their circumstances now which is just that their son had the suicide attempt is in the hospital uh, on machines basically. And the machines need to be turned off because there's no chance that he is going to recover. Yeah. According to the doctors, but he thinks um, if he can solve this earlier crime and get vengeance on those men, as he promised PJ, not JP PJ that um, I think that's Parnell jr. That um, God will bring his son back to life out of the coma. Um, it's really an interesting take on the supernatural detective. I like that he sees these clues that nobody else sees and they usually have to do with blood, um, forming a a trail and things like that. I, I kind of liked that. Me too. It puts us as the audience in a different, um, position than like with once upon a time where we know that there's magic in this world. We know that uh, her mother is Snow White and her father is Prince Charming and blah, 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 you know, and, the, and that uh, the, the magical things are happening and Emma just needs to discover it, right? In this case, we don't know because he's the only one who has these visions and sees them and because in our rational or more rational understanding of the show, we um, 
know that uh, he has a need, like you said, to make order out of this really chaotic event that happened, this really tragic event. And he obviously is looking for a distraction um, rather than dealing with the fact that they have to make a very difficult decision to turn life support off, right? So we know that there are like human reasons why he might be like having the, a psychotic break. But we also know that this show is called Hand of God and that potentially the they are trying to tell us that there is a real supernatural God who has who chooses people out of the world to give messages of presumably vengeance to (laughs) and uh so it's it's interesting because we don't know if we're supposed to find magic in this world or not right we don't know if the supernatural is real or if it's just a crazy person yeah yeah we know the priest is full of shit too which makes it interesting yeah um well we're gonna get into some spoilers here Yeah. yeah he's also very earnest yeah, there's some problems with the show too. It's oh, it doesn't they don't 100% pull it off. No, um, it, I, I like it. Uh, it's, I think it's an ambitious undertaking and it's interesting. And like I said, it was cool to be in a different position as the audience member, which I think is why we kept watching. Certainly why I kept watching. But there are definitely some like major shortfalls. <laughs> yeah. I knew it wasn't going to be a perfect show from one of the early scenes where um bobo who is played by the actor that plays bubbles from the wire um he's the mayor and he has this company coming in to build a big tech thing they're a big tech company and they're going to bring all these techies in and revitalize the town with their money and uh they're on the construction site and there's that billboard behind him that says brooks innovations Mm -hmm. and somebody spray painted it to say crooks innovations Mm -hmm. with a dollar sign Mm -hmm that's when I knew it wasn't going to be a perfect yeah, show. That's graffiti absolutely no one would ever make. Maybe like a 55-year-old yeah, man who yeah. thought he was... What 55-year-old man graffitied that <laughs> sign and chuckled to himself? <laughs> I mean, it really, it's like a dad joke. That's yeah. like if your dad saw like that headline like in the newspaper, he'd be like, huh, Brooks, more like crooks are coming to town, you know? But like, yeah, no one else is, is making that joke. Another big problem with the show that you pointed out and we're going to get into spoilers here. Um, the main, the girl who uh, she's like the priest's girlfriend. Um, she, in the first episode, like they're at a bank with Parnell's check. And uh, the guy's like, well, it'll take a few days to cash this. So she gets the guy alone and gives him a blowjob so they can have the money yeah. right away. Yeah. But then they don't even spend it right away. Yeah. Like they could have waited a few days for that money. And, we and Parnell willingly gave it to them. Yeah, it wasn't ill gotten. They didn't have to cash it right that minute, or else Parnell would cancel it. I mean, it. I think they were just going for kind of like creating some cheap tension, and also like being like, "Hey, this girl is really cute," and you know, gratuitously, we're going to make you think about her giving you a blowjob. Yeah, and these people are suspect. You know, yeah. are they really a good priest? Or yeah, you know, yeah. no. Of course not. Yeah. But um, then she never does anything like that again. And exactly. she that's, yeah, that's what you pointed out to it me. And she's like the moral one. Yes. Yeah. Later on, the priest like starts doing or does meth with like some people he knew in his past or whatever. And she is the one who's like totally upset and pulls him out of it and pulls him together. And she has no problem saying no to drugs. And she never 
has like an urge to stray in any kind of moral capacity that they're in. Um, and she ha- like gets defensive at one point with um, a-, a character that I'm not going to get into the details of. But the point is she's like suspicious of a character who's a drug dealer who comes to their church. And then just as quickly, like as she gets to know this character, she opens her heart to the person, which is exactly what you would expect this nice religious girl to do. So it made no sense. There's no reason for them to do that. I liked um, Erica Badu and her minor role. That's the- Okay. Yeah, she's the drug dealer, and she befriends this this girl, um, the redhead. I can't remember her name. We don't. We're not good with names. They never matter when you're watching a TV show. Like you know what these characters look like. So I never. I had to make no effort to remember them. But um, that was another problem. I liked Erica Badu's Badu's character. Um, I liked the wife of Parnell. Yeah. She. I thought she was a good character. She's the one buying weed from the drug dealer every episode. And uh, but. Erica Badu befriended the redhead, but then, and kept it a secret from the wife, but then ultimately gave it up anyway. Yeah. That was stupid. I hate when they do things like that. It's just like, it's, it's lazy writing. They're just holding on to it until it's convenient. Exactly. It's like, if this is the point we're getting to, right, that ultimately you're going to, that she's going to give pertinent information to the wife about the redhead then let's just get get it over with and get that information to the wife so we can move the story line rather along rather rather than moving like just just and like you said just trying to not deal with what is basically going to the happen. big problem for me too is that immediately the wife uses it against the redhead which just completely devalues Erica Badu's friendship with the redhead yeah. and they think that's fine because these are minor characters yeah. and I hate when a show is just all about the main characters and everyone else is just there to serve the plot to move along for those main characters yeah. I hate when that happens yeah oh, but uh, yeah but also move the plot along don't just yeah. hold on to bits for yeah. basically no reason but if you're gonna have side characters that perform functions you know yeah, that's what I'm saying. flesh them out make them function. real characters too and yeah just have them perform the function yeah. right away Instead of just being a, a so clearly a tool that you use, yeah. um, but you wanted to talk more about more in general, yeah. right? Well, let's talk about what happens at the end. Yeah. You described it as trying to have it both ways, because the question all along is, oh, is he getting these from God or not? I think ultimately you have to conclude he is, because that first clue is just totally random and leads them down the right path. I, uh, do you think there's any other support for that view, though? That god is giving him these answers or is it just that uh well i think the the best clue for that uh is the one time we do actually find evidence that's outside of parnell's head which is um in like the second to last episode i think of the season um where he uh finds i think he gets pj's phone or something and he somehow finds out that the uh, on it is a video that PJ watched like 25 times before he committed suicide. And the video is of a promo that was made for this, uh, this construction that's, that's about to happen. This Brooks innovations uh, tech company construction that's about to happen. And so um, Parnell starts watching it over and over again as well. And he keeps seeing some evidence about milk and honey, which I'm not really that well versed milk and honey was like a theme in that episode yeah i'm not sure it ever really came together either did it one thing they do that's interesting in these shows is they do have 
like symbolical elements like that yeah. they never quite do it but like blood is important even in a way that's not literal or to the narrative like in the first episode he has a t-shirt with a big blood drop on it and that never comes back to mean anything but um it foreshadows the use of blood later on and uh, they're trying to do something more interesting more literary even though they don't necessarily put it all together in in a or at one point they they talk about waiting three days the same way that jesus was in his tomb for three days and they mentioned 12 multiple times for no good reason probably just because that reminds you of the 12 apostles i like that they have those like baroque i don't know if that's the right term to use there but it's like an unnecessary thing that they put in there just to help set the mood and set your mind up in a certain way i really like that i don't think of i can't think of any other tv show that just uses images and objects just in a purely symbolic way that doesn't contribute to the narrative or plot i would have liked to see that a bit more too yeah i think you're right though it does do it really that's what i think that's all that milk and honey was because i don't remember it turning out to mean anything yeah yeah i don't i don't know if it did it, it like flew past me but um the point is that uh, the only clue we ever really see outside of him is that he watches this video over and over. He gets obsessed. He's supposed to be going to some big masquerade party at his house, but he like s- sits upstairs by himself and watches it. And then finally, he uh, somehow gets triggered to want to watch. He goes downstairs. He like meets the guy that he needed to meet at the party. Um, that's like the head of Brooks Innovations or something. Oh, okay. well, he puts the video on the big screen. Oh, well, that's what I mean. I don't. I think that maybe that guy says like he's not gonna drink, and someone offers him a glass of milk or something. Like I don't know. Oh, Jokingly. That's right. He was like drinking wine, but it was honey. Yeah. There's some. Anyway, whatever. The point is, all of that stuff happens, and then he puts the uh video on the big screen, and he plays it again and we, we see one of the main characters um i forget her name as well but the asian <laughs> character yeah she's like an executive at brooks yeah um and she's giving an interview uh, in the promotional video and behind her we see a book that was missing from uh pj's apartment that's been missing yep. since the rape happened a book of yates poems yes that um, we have found out his wife uh, said it was where he kept his program that was central to um, it, it was hollowed out and he had a USB stick in there yeah and it was like a program I don't know some kind of coding thing whatever they called the program bathwater yeah, I'm not that sure. was terrible this this tiny program he wrote as a single person that's going to revolutionize the computing industry yeah. and it's named bathwater yeah. maybe that was supposed to have something to do with baptism I don't know it doesn't matter. The point is that that's the only like the fact that she has that book of Yeats poems behind her. That's the book that went missing that had this important piece that was also mentioned by in the first episode by the guy that his vision led them to murder. Um, that's the only piece of evidence that we ever see that's outside of um yeah his head and so that also leads me to believe that we are supposed to conclude that there is real world confirmation to these visions that he's having but at the end they like i say they tried to have it both ways well to me that that clue about the book points to the opposite because um uh his son's wife 
um, comes to him and says that the book is missing. I We'll call her Sarah. (laughs) She tells him that the book is missing. And he found that video on PJ's phone. Mm -hmm. So both of those would have happened regardless, no matter what he was doing. So I don't think that those two, that it necessarily follows that that was God intervening. Because he could have totally found that out on his own. Right. Well, then the only piece of evidence we have is at the beginning, that very first lead, where... The blood leads them, uh, which he sees the blood spill out of his son. Then he goes to the like banquet that's like honoring police officers. Someone spills coffee. The coffee looks like blood. And it leads to, it's like pointing basically at a certain police officer. Yeah. Who uh, later totally died. random. Yeah. yeah. Later turns out to be the rapist murderer yeah. guy. Yeah. So, and then in the end, they don't really give you a, a hint one way or the other um because you know they kill this woman who's at fault the other people have already been killed mm-hmm. and then um they're gonna pull pj off life support and they pull him off and his heart stop starts beating mm-hmm. and then maybe he moves or something yeah. but um then parnell screams out like thank you to jesus yeah. and then you hear that beep the flatline, the flatline sound yeah that was such a terrible ending. That, yeah, so that makes me wonder whether they ever decided yeah. that because we basically have clues like you just pointed out that that could, could confirm either side, right? That I thought, oh, we're supposed to see this as a confirmation of God. You saw those clues and said, no, God or no God, he is finding those clues either way. And uh, so ultimately, like throughout the story, that's like what happens. They play back and forth back and forth and then in the end they're literally like straddling the fence to the point where his heart beats and flatlines and so what are we left with what was the answer i don't know and i'm not sure that they ever decided or that they knew as writers and creators of the show whether god exists or not yeah and a show it, it shows never as good as it could be when the writers haven't decided what it's about i think yeah i think um that could have been really interesting but the problem for me was that in terms of the actual story it was very highly ordered um like the linear storytelling you know cause and effect the blood and the coffee lead to the guy then they fuck up but and there's like serious consequences to killing the wrong person uh and and everything was like very much actually stacked to be like because this happened then this happened and Bobo's like constantly stressed out because if they don't get uh you know the the concrete pour then he's not going to get the tech companies then he's not going to get to be the mayor that he wants it's like everything is stacked on top of each other in a super ordered way and everything feels like dominoes affecting each other so closely that obviously implicitly they're saying there is order in the world there is a god everything is linear but they're trying to have it both ways and and be interesting and they kind of fail at that because they could have just as easily put in some random you know death and and accidents to 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 also play with our expectations in that way and i think that would have made it a a better show if they do just want to straddle yeah all right you convinced me there (laughs) (laughs) yeah so god exists in this universe but 
you know, but not to great effect. Like every TV universe. Basically. Yeah, just the same way. Yeah. If God does exist in the hand of God universe, though, he's weird. If yeah. he really is giving those messages to Parnell, he's just bloodthirsty and doesn't want to wait to doesn't want to wait for eternity to punish these people he wants parnell to like go kill them now yeah i know how crazy is that like that is basically the takeaway in the end as far as i can tell since we we at least are landing that god does exist in this universe and therefore yeah like you said he's like so full of bloodlust uh, and I guess presumably like a, a real lover of justice, right? Like that it, it can't even wait until these people die for him to dole out justice. And he's having right now. <laughs> like, so I don't, yeah, I, I'm not sure why that's the message they wanted to give or tell in this story. There's two other things I wanted to mention. Um, we talked about them a little bit ago. I can't remember what one of them was. <laughs> One of them is just that Bobo is the real hero of the story for sure. Yeah. And it's an interesting perspective on being a hero. Um, ultimately, the answer is because he's bringing this tech company to town, but he's selling, he's black and he's selling out the black community to do it. Mm -hmm. He um, is taking all the low income housing and bulldozing it yeah. and giving it to this tech company. And it's driving people out of town. It's not even like waiting for it to gentrify. They just have to move out because yeah. he's taking their homes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he tells himself he's given them some money and it's going to make the town good. But ultimately, he recognizes that he's just trying to further his own family, yeah. you know, and he's just trying to do this for himself. And there's a nice confrontation with his dad who, like, doesn't live in that neighborhood, but clearly lives in a working class black neighborhood. Um, and his dad, like, doesn't want to come support him to see the concrete pour because he thinks that my son is just, you know, destroying this community. Um Ultimately, he does show up, and um, I thought it, the 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 real heroic act he does too is when, and uh, it was is when he's having a fight with that like white council member who keeps calling him the n word mm -hmm. to make a point. Yeah, it's not he's trying to make a point that like Parnell was mean to me. Mm -hmm. Now I'm gonna be mean to you yeah. to prove that you can't just eat shit. At some point, you're gonna break, yeah. and Bobo never breaks. He just takes it. And lets that guy call him the N-word because Bobo knows in the end he's going to get what he wants. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. It was cool, too, because for a few episodes they played it like he shouldn't have done that because his son was embarrassed about him. His son had to see that yeah. and thought that his dad was being weak. Mm -hmm. But then shortly after when he sta Bobo stands up to his dad and says, you know, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for my family, basically. Yeah. His son sees that and recognizes that he's strong. And then Bobo is the only one who has like a clear victory at the end too, yeah. because he gets the concrete pour. He, he gets what he wanted. Yeah. And what you're saying also makes me think that um, it's interesting. Uh, I didn't see this until you, you were just talking about Bobo, but Parnell is like the supernatural detective. Like he's off looking for clues and trying to like hear God speaking to him. He's also rich and from a dynasty that has run this town for a long time. Yeah, but more importantly, uh, that um, he's like off trying to do this like magical, mystical journey. Whereas the whole time, Bobo is like hyper focused, hyper rational, and living in the basically non God world, yeah. right? Like he is doing all these things with 
presumably some good intentions or at least intentions he convinces himself are good enough in that he's bringing tech jobs and whatever and he's going to revitalize the community but he's not worried that because he's doing like really shitty things like pushing out poor people that uh there's going to be some great cosmic justice later or that he needs to like somehow settle this with God or, you know, I mean, at most he needs to settle it like with his son and his dad, but everything is like very rational and very concrete. I mean, there's like the concrete poor, but also concretely located in the real world. And uh, so even though they're like best friends, they're actually kind of parallels of each other and like living in parallel worlds, like one mystical, the other. Yeah. You know, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, he lives. It might be a stretch, but almost like a Hobbesian point of view. Like he needs to just protect his own family yeah. and get for himself what he can, and that's the only justice and he can hope for. Make the state work for him, <laughs> right? Like yeah, and make the state work yeah. for him. Yeah, good point. I think that's a good segue to I Zombie. If you're ready, yeah. Um, in the sense that I think I Zombie also shows actually um, an atheistic and amoral universe or something like that i think um this is okay this we'll talk about it a little bit in general i zombie is the most preposterously um premised show that i didn't even want to watch it at first because it's about a, a girl who was a doctor who gets turned into a zombie so she becomes a medical examiner so she can have free access to brains so she ends up solving crimes with a detective who thinks she's a psychic (laughs) (laughs) no but that's pretty great right and like um i I mean it sounds silly but it's actually like really great in the sense that it's like kind of layered like they were like uh there's a zombie element. People love Walking Dead. There's the psych element of someone who isn't a psychic, but who people believe is a psychic. And therefore, that actually sort of gives them special powers in a way because they can convince people of things that they need to convince them of sometimes. Yeah. Um, and there's also the, like the procedural mystery, Veronica Mars kind of crime, uh, you know, law and order aspect to the show so it's like really great because it's a bunch of different shows layered on top of each other and they're sort of assuming you're smart enough to follow all the different aspects of the show which i really appreciate because i always feel like tv shows think we're like way dumber than we are um and 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 treat us like we've never watched a tv show before like they always have to explain everything um but also you know it's interesting that you say that you feel like it's in an atheist Uh, world I might agree with you because although there is some sense of uh, uh, well she became a zombie so that she could fight crime or or what well but she didn't do that on purpose right and um, in fact she's a doctor who's like I mean when it starts out it feels like it's going to be a different show she's like a star doctor she's about to marry the um really handsome fiance that it like is obsessed with her and like loves her but in a healthy way uh and it's he's so healthy and loving that he tells her we don't need to go out tonight we're getting married soon go and make friends with uh these new people you're going to be working with at the hospital and so she goes to a a party that she's been invited to that's just supposed to be like medical students on a boat having a lovely time and it turns into this crazy chaotic event that no one could foresee that leads her to become a zombie so that is a little bit like having you know like as if she were as if this were a show about a doctor and then like 
five minutes into the episode, the doctor gets hit by a truck, <laughs> you know? It that also, is pretty atheist. It also totally lacks that cosmic justice you were talking about. Like, Blaine is such a good villain, mm, you know? Yeah. And he never gets his comeuppance. In fact, I think he's going to turn out to be, like, an ally in yes, season two on the I, right I side. Agree. Yeah. But he never has to pay for his crimes. The level of mas- evil mastermind yeah. that Blaine displays is insane. Um, this show... Like and capitalist evil I, I did not. It did not turn out to be the show I thought it was going to be. Even in episode two and three, it seems like kind of a one of these like quirky drama comedies, you know, Um, procedural medical mixing medical and crime drama comedies of like young people working together. Yeah. Um, So I wasn't into it at first, but it turns out to be kind of scary at points, you know. Yeah. And and partly it's because of Blaine and just like the twisted reality of Blaine. He's a zombie, and he's decided that he's going to make money by turning other people into zombies and extorting them by um, by becoming their supply of brains. He also, like, gets to choose. Yeah. Like, he's like a god, right? He gets yeah. to choose who he's going to turn into a zombie, and he strategically chooses, like, the head of police. Rich people. Ri- yeah, rich people who can supply yeah. him with that much money and who don't want to get their hands dirty by digging up graves yeah. to eat brains or whatever, you know? Um. Uh, one of the people I think that he uh turned was um like the chef, or uh like a gourmet chef at a meat shop, which surprise gives them access to a place to actually like cut up the brains and shit that they're doing. Um, you know he he changes a couple of the guys from when he was a drug dealer who were enforcers into zombies, so that now he has enforcers that work for him right like it's very methodical and um all to his benefit exclusively to his benefit but he's creating his own moral universe too which he points out to um major lily white (laughs) these characters have almost the worst names the main character is olivia moore or livmore the zombie named livmore and her boyfriend is major lily white who start who starts off being a good guy but gets driven insane, basically. Yeah. Not completely, but a little bit, because um, he's so good that he volunteers with these children, and Blaine is preying on these children and selling their brains, and he f- discovers it and attacks Blaine, uh, blows up his shop and everything. But when he does that, Blaine points out to, uh, to Major and to Liv yeah. that, look, I was just supplying all these zombies with brains, in a somewhat civilized fashion and now they're just going to be going hungry rampaging yeah yeah so he's making his own moral reality yeah he's like well do you want to bring on the zombie apocalypse because if i'm not supplying brains in a systematic fashion to these zombies like you said they're going to start raging they're going to get hungry they're going to accidentally turn other people into zombies like they because also you're gonna have people then who have been turned into zombies who don't even know what to do and we've also seen what happens to people who get turned into zombies who don't have access to brains right away they turn into the more like dumb walking dead zombie that we imagine um i think he points out to live that like not all zombies are so privileged to work in a morgue and have free access to brains right which is really interesting because it's a really good point but also those people wouldn't be zombies if you didn't fucking yeah. turn them into zombies. <laughs> yeah. So it's like very. It's t- good. It's textured. Mind. It's nuanced, yeah. you know, yeah. in terms of storytelling. Yeah. It's, it's good. And it's also like, um, it's a character 
serving his function in the sense of like um, he is like addressing it's not like we don't have to wonder well what is Blaine going to do or whatever no he does what he's doing right away which is like creating more zombies and then even after she like sticks him with the, the cure needle uh we still have a bunch of zombies now that we have to deal with who need brains and who who there's like a whole reality that he's he's created like he served his function to complicate the story basically very effectively you know because it could have just been like him and live and like maybe one other rando or whatever that got turned into zombies and you know she could like supply them with brains that would be like a problem you could get your arms around but in this case he's complicated things so much further that there isn't a clear solution And the closest thing we have to a clear solution is like Ravi's efforts to create a cure, but also that's just been squandered in the final episode of season one on Major and on Blaine. And so they've they've totally not avoided um, like using their story. You know, they they weren't scared to like. Do you mean they've like avoided using the easy answers? Or... Yeah, because they could have just kept, like, they could have just strung us along with, like, the cure, right? Like, with the rats and testing and seeing and how do we find more utopium to create a cure and replicate it and blah, blah, blah. I mean, they are going to keep doing that. But I thought, like, for sure that, you know, she's not going to use all of the what, what they had actually developed up to that point in the final episode. Like, that, you know... And if it was like any other TV show, they would have avoided doing that because they would have been scared to use up like the story that they built and developed, basically. But they just went for it and did what in some ways like made the most sense for the characters to do in that moment, which is how real life is. You do what you have to do in the moment, not like not the, you know, crescendo you're planning on building up to. And so uh, so it was cool that they were willing to live basically the story that they had built they were willing to go through it instead of just trying to avoid dealing with things or push them off first season two yeah and they've created like a really complex moral universe without necessarily trying yeah you know that point where um live eats the brain of a military sniper so she's going to use her sniping skills to assassinate blaine but then she doesn't have the heart to go through with it so blaine ends up killing her boyfriend and uh you know, prospering more, mm-hmm. and then she has to, she she regrets that. Yeah, well, even her boyfriend in that moment deciding to kill Blaine, right, he kind of, like, yeah. signs off and tells her he loves her or whatever, and then... But he decided, like, he had to try because Blaine's just so evil. Right, and then and he, he saw the flashback in the brain of the kid being murdered. Oh, right. And it was, it was, it's... I mean, imagine, that would be it truly... too horrible. traumatic. Yeah. So he was almost acting on impulse yeah that would be like super horrifying to actually see that and experience it and know that you just ate someone who was terrified in their last minutes and a child and a poor child at that you know and uh and and at the end he get he tries to kill blaine and is like immediately murdered by blaine and we're left to think yeah blaine is really horrible but was that the right to decision to try to kill him in that moment without any forethought and now you're just dead like was that better almost certainly not and in that moment you're kind of left thinking Liv should have just shot him in the head yeah 
But then in the end, when Major uses ultra violence to try to take down Blaine and his whole company, it doesn't necessarily turn out well. Yeah. So it's it's like there's no easy answer in their yeah. moral universe. And it's not just this story narrative that's going to take care of it of itself yes. but bad are going to get punished the good are going to get rewarded yeah it's not like that at all yeah absolutely i mean i think i think you just hit the nail on the head there's no easy answer throughout the show there's never an easy answer and so often um like we just watched uh, the season two premiere and in season two um Basically, what happens in the first murder mystery that they solve is there's a crotchety old man who's working on his car and someone uh, knocks his car off the block and therefore the car crushes him to death. And so they go through searching for who it is and it ends up being a neighbor who... Um, whose dog had basically been kidnapped by the crotchety old man. Yeah. Um, it turns out this man has is just terrible. Nobody liked him. Yeah. The old guy that died. He was poisoning squirrels. Yes. He was just terrorizing the neighborhood. He was an old grumpy guy that nobody liked. Yeah, his own sister-in-law doesn't like him. And this guy um, gets drunk at a bar, uh, decides he's going to confront this old man. Yeah, he thinks that the old man has poisoned his dog mm-hmm. because... He's been complaining about his dog pee- pooping in his yard. Yeah, and so he um, goes. He he gets drunk. He goes to confront the old man that night. The old man is under his car working. He confronts him, and the old man basically lets him think that he has poisoned his dog. He says like, "Your dog's never gonna bark at anyone again," or whatever. And in that moment, the guy just gets pissed, and he's drunk, and he kicks the car, and it falls down and crushes the man to death and then he hears his dog barking in the guy's house so it turns out the dog was alive and now he's murdered someone and even in the um scene where they arrest they go to arrest him he's like crying one because he's sad to leave his dog but also he's like it was just one second of my life it was just one second where i like lost control and did the wrong thing basically and that's like a really complicated and tragic uh story to tell and the morality is not clear is it good that they arrested him i'm not sure i didn't feel like good about it it wasn't like oh they got the bad guy they it would have been more clear and satisfying if he had poisoned the dog it would have just been an easy answer for the audience like sometimes good people gotta do bad things protect their dogs <laughs> yeah but you know what i mean it would yeah, be yeah. easy like you would just have sympathy for that guy yeah. actually it's just a story yeah but even the idea that it was just one second of his life where he was you know his de- um decision making powers were maybe impaired a little bit and whatever and he lost control right like it was such a complex it adds yeah. like in that complex in the terms of the complexity of this moral universe I yeah think. they must be thinking about their moral universe because they could have just left out the detail of the dog actually being alive yeah. but they put it and in it's there. so much more interesting that way yeah. you know in terms of what it makes you feel and think oh, so. and that's how we started this conversation is on vulture when they're talking about why people don't include religion it's like people don't have complex interesting things to say about religion but here on iZombie they do if if you extend religion to include morals and worldview and what makes something good or bad yeah um it's not just that people aren't religious they don't want to identify with people who are religious that's that can't be true yeah. um so there's uh, there's I, we don't watch israeli tv but there's this huge 
success of multiple shows that are about the Orthodox community there. And most people in Israel don't even like the Orthodox community. And there's shows about um, like conservative Muslim teens in Europe. People are willing to engage with the religions that are not theirs. Especially when sometimes when uh, it can be a window, like like the Muslim teens in Europe uh, type TV show, right? Like it can be a world into a different um, part of your society or a piece of culture you don't see, but you are aware exists and are interested in learning about. Yeah, but in America, even the religious people, they don't have a complex notion of what it means to be religious. They don't develop an interesting enough worldview to base a TV show How on it. How could you? How could you? When your entire worldview is based on faith, not being skeptical, not asking questions, then you don't need to wonder whether what you did was like good or bad because God will judge, yeah. you know? I mean, it would be one thing if you had an interesting perspective on your faith, which I'm sure people in their normal lives, some of them do, but the religious people we hear on AFR, how do I know if something's good or wrong? Oh, it's in the Bible. Check the yeah. Bible. Uh, that's their answer to everything. Yeah, obviously being gay is bad because God said uh, you can't lay with another man. I mean, he also said like that uh, if you are raped, then you should drink poison. But no need to <laughs> think about that. You know, like it's like it, it's when it suits them, it's in the Bible. And so they don't need to think about it. And when it doesn't suit them, they come up with other Bible verses that that suit the, that worldview yeah. better. And there's uh, there's just there's no need to question. They don't try to put it all together. They just find little bits of evidence in the Bible, like right, that support their little worldview, yeah. and that's it. But I think if you want to tell a good story, it actually has to present a coherent and interesting moral worldview. You know, I think the process of a narrative produces meaning. But if you're gonna tell a story about people that believe in their faith like that. The only interesting thing that you can do is maybe to A, show that how hypocritical they are, yeah. or B, have them be like um, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and just this, you know, unthinking beacon of naivete. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one, those are the only way you can tell an interesting story about that worldview. Um, I don't, you need a more compl complicated, complex worldview to have an interesting story. Yeah, and I although, think that's why there's not more TV about it. If you just have someone who's constant, like who's religious, but hypocritical, that's going to get old so fast. Yeah. So that's not even one. It's like, you would feel like you're just being beaten over the head with it. It would be yeah. so boring so quick. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So that's even one so more many, avenue that's shut down. So many examples. It would happen all <laughs> the time. You know what I yeah. mean? And it would just be like, okay, we get it. No one lives, um, uh, real, like uh, according to the Bible or whatever, you know, like, and you just be like, I can't watch this show anymore. Yeah. So yeah, that's another one. That... So I think the reason there's not more religious shows in America is that we just don't, we haven't finished thinking through the problems of religion in America well enough to produce a coherent storyline about it, except yeah. maybe sometimes on accident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, if, if we had an interesting, coherent view through religion, through the lens of religion, you could have TV shows about it. But we don't. Everyone's an atheist. <laughs> and so there's no market <laughs> for that. For the, that TV show doesn't exist because it, because it can't and there is no market for it. <laughs> so... 
so that covers it that's this is cold pizza party (laughs) (laughs) this is the cold pizza party podcast yeah i guess we're uh not going to be talking about politics uh this time but i think that's fine we covered a lot of tv and religion and it was a pretty big topic i think so um so hopefully you enjoyed listening to our ideas about supernatural detectives and why everyone's an atheist and um all that kind of stuff and uh if you disagree with us or agree with us or are a religious person who or not who wants to take us to task you can uh uh tweet us at at cold pizza party on twitter um we have a facebook page now which is um facebook.com slash cold pizza party uh and oh and we have an email address which is cold pizza party fun at gmail.com i think i should probably look that up we have an email address we're not sure what it is and we don't use type it. cold pizza party and then random letters after that <laughs> until you reach us um we pizza party fun because i wanted it to be exciting and what's more exciting than fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's just objectively true i can't be denied um we'll probably have a break before another podcast because we have a big vacation coming up um hopefully after that lubitsa too might have some um regular writing uh tv review or um recaps Recaps, yeah. (laughs) yeah uh tv recaps on a cool website so yeah so we'll let you We'll let you guys know more about it as that happens and um, all the different ways you can catch us and interact with us. And we want to create a Tumblr, too, where we can um, blog more regularly about some of our ideas and and discuss some um, things more in depth than we have time uh, to do on the show. Uh, And sometimes it's hard to get these ideas out on a podcast because we talk about them already and we've kind of fleshed them out. (laughs) So it might be easier to write about some things. We've like, we've recorded and deleted like two podcasts already about supernatural (laughs) detectives, but I think this one worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard because you have to like rehash a conversation you've already had and it like loses authenticity and doesn't feel good. And we don't really want to just be fake and just regurgitating things to you guys. But I think this time actually it, it felt really good while we were talking and I think we hit on some things we've never expressed to each other in, in uh, quite so clear of terms and, and things like that. So hopefully uh, you guys found it interesting and hopefully we've thrown out some ideas that you don't hear everywhere else at you. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of our biggest goals, <laughs> especially <laughs> when it comes to politics. We promise we'll never talk about We'll never present to you the same views that you've heard all week on politics. That is my biggest problem. We love politics, but it's so hard to consume political media sometimes because everybody has the same point of view. Well, and it's just that emphasis on the rat race and never putting things together and wondering more coherently about what does this say? What does this mean about our world, ourselves? What does it mean with religion or the TV we're consuming? It's the same with TV, too. That reminds me. We mentioned the Vulture TV podcast. It's excellent. Check it out. We're always looking for other good TV media, so if we find some, we'll talk about it also. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to find good stuff about TV and politics sometimes. That's, that's why we decided to do this. <laughs> like, if we could have found a podcast where people were talking about the things we wanted to hear them talk about and discussing ideas we weren't hearing everywhere else, we wouldn't have bothered to take time out of our lives to record. <laughs> so hopefully... We're adding something new and interesting to um, your earbuds. (laughs) Thanks.